Uh, it's great to be here. Yesterday, Bart uh, talked about how it felt to follow Dallas Willard. This morning, I feel a little bit like that, uh, just coming on the night. I hope you guys had a great time last night. It was uh, just really ministered to me in a very special way. Truthfully, I did not want to come to Simply Jesus again this year. It's my third year, and what more can you tell people three years into it that you haven't said already? And um, honestly, it wasn't, you know, because I don't like the wilderness. Who doesn't like trees? And uh, even without the fireplaces at night, this is really a beautiful place. And uh, it's not because I don't love the people here. I, I do. But it was because this year I really felt a bit T-bowed. Not T-boned, but T-bowed. If you follow Tim Tebow at all, you understand how he is. He has some awesome things going for him um, besides his abs. And... Uh, <laughs> Not that I ever have looked at that, but, but the things that he wants the most seems to be giving him trouble in life, even this last week. To illustrate my point, he broke his hand so that he's out for the season, maybe for good, who knows. And uh, it's awful when that happens. I've had one of those years. I've had some awesome things going for me, but the things that I desperately want God to do, the breakthrough that I've prayed for, the things that I want to see God move in seem to be constipated, if I have to use a word that is medically convenient. But uh, it's a hard place to be. And so back a few months ago, we got an email that said, hey, claim your Bible passage so that people don't speak about the same thing. It'd be awkward if you guys listen to very similar messages in every session. And so right away, I uh, was still in that zone where I had said yes, because I have a hard time saying no to people, I'd come, and so now I sort of was wrestling with what I would speak about, and the first thought I had was, I'm going to speak about the widow of Zarephath in Luke chapter 4, and I'll be honest with you, uh, the reason that I thought about her had um, little to do with anything else other than she saw breakthrough, and she saw a miracle, and, and so I threw out Luke 4, sort of thinking, like, if God could raise her son from the dead, maybe, you know, this will be sort of an omen of what might to come in the weeks um, leading up to this. And so I, I sort of had that in mind, and I, I even told Erica, you know, I'm going to talk about how God uses average people, and people who have nothing, and needy people, and people who are broken, and, and sort of went with that in my mind until I started really getting into the text. And it's funny how uh, you can spend your whole life with Jesus and have really very little idea what he's really saying. And you can take God's word and want to make it be what you want it to be. And I find that I'm very guilty of that. I come with, to it with a preconceived notion of what I want it to say. And then when it doesn't turn out the way that I want it to, I wonder why. And so I have been really living in Luke chapter 4. And this is after, uh, by the way, uh, speaking of Jesus' beliefs, he had just endured the trial in the wilderness for 40 days. And Jesus believed in Satan. He encountered him and he defeated him. And now he moves into his ministry. And it's an awesome text of scripture. I'm going to get into it in a second. But... Um, before I do that, uh, you know, it's funny how um, we want to see what we want to see in life. And so back before the iPhone, before social media, we used to have these games. I don't know if you call it a game, but it was sort of desperate, I guess. We had these pictures. I don't know if some of you here gray hairs might remember that. Uh, they would show this picture with a glob of color. Do you remember those? And you would look at it. And if you looked at it long enough, you would see a picture in the picture. You guys, anybody remember what I'm talking about? Those are pretty cool. If you're like under 40, you have no idea what we're talking about. But, but those are fun. And I never could see what was supposed to be seen. You know, I would just stare at this thing and they'd be like, do you see it? I'd be like, yeah, I see it. But really, I had no idea what I was looking at. And, and, uh, and then there was another one that was cool too. It was an optical illusion. You would look at a face and it was either like a really ugly old lady. I tended to, I'm a cup half empty person. I always saw the old lady. But if you looked at it carefully, you could also see a beautiful woman. Anybody remember that as well? as like an optical illusion. 
And, and I find that that's what we do often with Jesus. We sort of have a, a tendency to see what we want to see. And so uh, in this passage, um, Jesus goes back to his hometown to people who think they know Jesus. In fact, they've lived with him their whole life. And so they have a certain expectation of what he is. And, and, and much like us, they might have thought and they had, had heard by now his reputation. They knew uh, what he had done in the few months of his ministry. He had gone around. The crowds were huge and growing. His reputation was amazing. He was the miracle maker. Like if you had a problem, you came to him and he healed you and he fixed it. And so now they're like, they have an edge because he's from their hometown. And so he's coming home and they're all excited. They want the breakthrough that so many of us want when we come to Jesus and they want to see that miracle. And, and that's, they're hungry for it. They can almost feel it. And they're about to be surprised. They're about to find out that sometimes Jesus doesn't quite live up to our expectations the way that we think he should. And, uh, it's interesting because he uh, is very intentional in everything he does. So he walks back home on the Sabbath, often a day that Jesus picked on purpose to do his best work in. And he walks into the synagogue where his father was and the place where he was so comfortable and walked up. It was his turn or, or for whatever reason he was doing the reading. He walked up to the front of the room, opened the, the scriptures, and he read these words from Isaiah and they're amazing words. Uh, he read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, yesterday we heard about how Jesus, when he spoke words and when he was in places like this, there was an authority that he carried that wowed everyone. And so I can imagine at this point, like most of us would know to cut our losses and run, you know, or to just know when a good thing is there and, and not to push it. If you've ever been to a high school reunion, yesterday I got home after the events and saw an email uh, that I'm about to celebrate my 30th high school reunion and uh, 30, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And, and I, I laughed because I thought how funny, our dream is to go back home and like show the people what we've become, right? We all have these dreams. If you are like me, uh, Jay, I felt your pain yesterday about being an outsider and, and sort of not fitting in. And so if you're like me and you've kind of grown up with that, your dream of going back and showing them who you are. And so now Jesus, he's the son of a carpenter, really rumors in town were about the fact that he was born of a virgin Mary. I'm sure there were a lot of things being said about him. And now he's back in town and he's, uh, he's done it. Like he's the guy. And if I were him, I would have stopped right here. And people were wowed at this point. But that is not the Jesus that we see in scripture. In in fact, uh, Jesus believes that is, it is more important to tell people what they need to hear than what they want to hear. And so Jesus um, sees them and watches them, and he doesn't stop there. He adds this little sentence. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And uh, he stops. Now, the people who were there were religious people. They understood what he meant. He wasn't just saying amen. This wasn't like, okay, we've read this, amen, now you can sit down. He was saying that he was he, the fulfillment of that passage. And so people now were sort of like, isn't this the guy that we grew up with? I mean, here they were. They had spent their whole life with Jesus. They thought they knew who he was, and yet they had no clue what he was really about still. And so they started rumbling and being upset. Now, what they wanted was the miracles. They came for the joy, the freedom, the political victories that, he had, that they had dreamed about. The Messiah in their mind was someone who was going to give them all those things. And so they started rumbling and being upset. And so Jesus doesn't stop there. Because if I were him, I'd have been like, okay, I made my point. I'm leaving next down. But he doesn't. He pushes them even further and he calls them out on it. He says, you guys want miracles. 
And see, I, I really believe in what comes that Jesus knows that what we need more than anything is not the miracle that we want, but the miracle that we don't even recognize that we need. And so Jesus pushes through and he says to them, he says, he says, you want miracles? You're not going to get miracles today. And this is a guy who went around healing people like you could touch the hem of his robe and you were well. But he says, you're not going to get healings today. He goes, in fact, let me tell you about the miracles that matter. And now he brings up the widow of Zarephath and Naaman, the Syrian leper. And both of those were crazy examples. And I, I got to be honest, I love the widow because she's from Sidon, near Sidon. And I'm actually from Lebanon, not just from Lebanon, but an hour east of Sidon is where my dad grew up in a town that you can't even see on the map. Like, if you Google it right now, you wouldn't find the town that my dad grew up with. And so you wonder, like, how could salvation ever get to a place that far in the middle of nowhere? And yet Jesus went there, and he went there in Luke 4, and God had gone there years before, decades before, centuries before. He saw that widow, and he uh, now makes a point uh, to the people listening, and he says, listen, he goes, uh, salvation. He gives the example. He says they were healed, and he says, in essence, that uh, the only way to salvation is when you are broken enough and dependent enough to receive it. And that this text wasn't about riches. It wasn't about freedom. It wasn't in the way that we think it. It wasn't about getting the things that we so desperately want, but about receiving the things that we so desperately need. And uh, of course, the crowd did not care for that. They were upset. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to take him to the edge of the town and kill him. I don't know what you long for this morning. I don't know what you dream about having given your life to Jesus in. I don't know what you sit on the edge of your beds in the morning and pray over. Perhaps Jesus hasn't quite lived up to your expectations. Perhaps you're wondering why everybody else gets their miracle and you're still waiting. Perhaps you've missed the fact that he might be doing something deeper in you than you first see. I was in Lebanon recently, many of you know I do the refugee work in Lebanon, and uh, every three months now I go back to the Middle East, and we do medical clinics for Syrian refugees. One of the beautiful advantages of that is that we've developed relationships with people there, and one woman I met the first time we went, her name is Dalal, and she's amazing. She's covered still, she wears the hijab, but her heart is 100% Jesus's. She's all in. And, and her story is pretty typical of many of those who have given their life to Jesus. She actually came uh, to, the clinic, to the church uh, at a first encounter because she needed food. And so they got some package of food and home necessities that the church gives out. And her kids got hooked on the Sunday school programs that they had. And the kids quickly uh, started following Jesus. And they were all in. And it was just a matter of weeks before Dalal gave her life to Jesus. She wanted hope. She wanted all of those things that uh, is promised in Christ. Month after month, we would go back and we would hear her story. At first, she was being persecuted by her husband and their families, and, and she suffered for that. And, 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 and she, we would ask her, how are you doing, Dalal? I'm praying he turns his life to Christ. I'm good. Three months later, we'd go back, hear the same thing. And, and then one time we went back, and she says, you know, he's now open to me going to church. And, and in fact, he comes and picks me up from church, and he sort of sits in the back and watches. And, and then three months later, you know, he was attending regularly. And then this last time we went, he had finally given his life to Jesus. And so this woman and her husband and kids are now followers of Jesus. So that afternoon, we went to their home, and I uh, sat in their home, and... Uh, 
This is a woman who came to Lebanon with nothing, and God has just blessed and done so much. And, and as we laughed and cut up and, and, and just had this community and fellowship, 30 minutes had gone by or so, and it kind of got lulled in the conversation. And Dalal looked at me, and with deep longing in her life, in her eyes, she asked me this question. She said, uh, Lena, what is it like living in America? And I'll be honest, I was stumped. I looked around me, and we were in this huge room for a refugee family, and this family had, had so much grace and so much, so much, and yet in her heart was this longing for something that might make her life better. And then I thought about my life. I came to the United States when I was 15 from a war-torn country. At the time, Lebanon was in a civil war, and, and I, uh, I remember thinking how awesome the move was, and we were so happy to become American. We love living in Green Bay, Wisconsin, of all places. <laughs> yeah, we really do. And, and, and yet I thought about the last decade or two, and I thought, how do I break this to her? I thought about the, the moral depravity in our country right now. I thought about the anger. I thought about the hatred between people, not just outside of the church, but within the church. And I, in my mind, I thought about what would it be like if the Syrian refugee family came to the United States? What would they experience and how would it be for them? And honestly, as I sat there in that living room, in my heart welled up a deep, deep longing for home. You know, recently I read that faith is a sort of homesickness. A longing for a place we've never visited but have never stopped longing for. And I believe in all of us is this tension in our souls. And I truly believe that Jesus believed that, which is why he understood that, or why in that moment in, John 4, in Luke 4, he didn't actually do the miracles that they wanted to do because there was more. There's more that we can have in him. Ironically, when he spoke those words of Isaiah in Luke chapter 4 and talked about freedom to the prisoners, uh, maybe weeks after that, his cousin and one of his favorite people on the earth, John the Baptist, sat in a prison. John had a moment of doubt and confusion. It's easy to understand that. And so he was so frustrated that he got a bunch of his disciples and he says, you've got to do me a favor. You've got to go and ask Jesus something. And so he sends the disciples, and in Luke chapter, I think, 7, we see that encounter. And we see uh, these disciples coming to Jesus, and they send him down. They say, Jesus, we've got a question from John who's in prison waiting to be beheaded. They didn't know how he would die, but they knew that the writing was on the wall. And, uh, and they said, John wants to know, are you the one, or do we wait for another? Do you know what Jesus did? It, it's almost cruel on first glance. He healed everyone. The blind saw, the lame walked, the deaf heard, even the dead were raised. So the show's over, he brings back John's disciples and he says, guys, go back and tell John what you saw. And so say this too, blessed are you if you're not offended by me. Can you picture that for a moment? John the Baptist is in prison. They come back and they say, John, dude, you wouldn't believe it. We saw the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are risen. And John's like, what about my miracle? What about my breakthrough? And, and he said, Jesus wants you to know, blessed are those who are not offended by him. 
You know what happened to John. His, his head got chopped off. He died. He didn't get freedom from prison. But that believe that the truth that Jesus has tried to convey to us is that there is a deeper freedom than freedom from prison. And it is freedom in prison. And that there is a better healing than healing from our wounds. That is to get the healer himself. And that there is a, a more abundant life than the one we think we can get in the things of this world. And it is when we understand that there is more to come. That there is in us a tension for more and a longing for more. See, we hate that bit. We long for him to fix everything now. And for many of you, you will get those things. But for some of us, those of us blessed enough to receive it, will have to settle for Jesus. I was recently reminded by a dear friend of mine that I am just a mainstream evangelical. And that I really just have one message that I tell people. And it is, by the way, the simplest message in the world, but it is the most manipulated and misrepresented message in the world. And it is a message that we want to make it be what it often is not. And it is a message that has set many free, but has caused many to stumble. And it is this, it is the message that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. But see, we look at that, and when life doesn't go as we want it to, we see the face and we see the old lady. What if we truly understood what it meant to be loved by Jesus? What if we truly lived in the freedom of knowing that this is not all there is, that there is more to come? Jesus believed it. What if we truly lived understanding that until we can experience the power of the resurrection, we will experience the pain of the cross? And that life happens when we are finally willing to die to ourselves. One of my favorite missionaries is Amy Carmichael. Amy is a missionary who died now, but when she lived, she wanted to be a missionary to China, actually. And she went to China and was, um, actually had to, be, had to leave because of her health. She was massively disappointed. And somehow, the mission board didn't want to send her back because of her health. She somehow ended up in India. She goes to India, which is a country she didn't have a burden for initially, and ended up in a work that she never planned on. She started saving girls who were sold as prostitutes to the temple so that the families would gain favor or make it. And, and so she started taking these kids in, and she became mom to them. Well, what's crazy about Amy's family is that 18 years before she died, 18 years before she died, she had an injury, and she suffered back problems that made her bedridden for the rest of her life. She was never healed of those injuries. That's when she did most of her writings, interestingly. When Amy um, was asked once this question, her response was amazing. She was asked, what does it mean to be a missionary? I believe the question really is, in a more general sense, what does it mean to be a Christian? And so Amy's response was this. She says, to be a missionary is a chance to die. I wonder if Jesus believed that that is the only miracle that will truly set us free. The question is, do you believe it?